you want to be a living sacrifice to God? Then have a humble, wholehearted commitment to using your spiritual gift to serve the people of God in the church. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Did you know that faithfully using your spiritual gift to serve God and others is a chief calling of every Christian? Perhaps you might recognize a unique and interesting mix in your spiritual gifts. Well, hello, I'm Bill Wright, and today Tom concludes his current series with part 10 of Gifted to Serve. As a believer, you are called to use your spiritual giftedness responsibly. You need to use the gift you've been given in the context of the church. But that's not all that you're required to do. You must use your spiritual gift, but with the right attitude and with the right heart posture. If you're not doing that, then Scripture says you're disobeying God. Just how important are your attitude and intention when it comes to using your spiritual gifts? What does the Bible say about it? Let's join our teacher to find out on The Word Unleashed. There are certain members of your physical body which are out there. They're public. They're what everyone sees. And then there are members of your body that are hidden, that are not necessarily attractive. But the truth is, the second group is far more important to you than the first we tend to get it backwards. We look at the public, the visible, and if we have a gift that falls into that category, if we're up in front of people, we think that's important. When in reality, it's those members that work behind the scenes that really cause things to function properly. That's what he's saying. We can be tempted to think our gift is superior in kind. In Corinth, They looked down on all the non-tongues gifts. You know, those who had the gift, the miraculous gift of tongues, speaking in languages they'd never studied, they looked around and, you know, theirs was the really important gift because it's confirming the gospel. And Paul says, not so. The truth is, those parts of the body that aren't quite as visible are far more important to the body's health. In a teaching church like ours, there can be a tendency not to properly value serving gifts. Listen, teachers are important in the life of the church. I'm not discounting teachers, but this church functions day in and day out based on those members that aren't doing clearly visible things, the kidneys and the the inner organs that keep the body alive. That's what really is important for the life of this church. Paul says, don't think too highly of your spiritual gift. Positively, he says this, think accurately of yourself and your gift. Again, notice verse 3, but to think so as to have sound judgment. To have sound judgment is literally to think sanely or rationally. In fact, the same word is used in Mark chapter 5, verse 15 of the demoniac when it said he's in his right mind. That's a very interesting point. In fact, I think this calls for at some point a message, maybe a series of messages, because Paul is implying here that to be carried away with an overestimation of yourself, 
To be drunk with pride is to be insane. It's to be out of your mind. Instead, we are to have a sober, clear-headed, objective, accurate assessment of ourselves and our giftedness. Now, this too is an important correction. Did you notice? He doesn't say, don't think highly of yourself. Instead, think lowly of your gifts. He doesn't say that. He says, don't think highly of yourselves. Instead, have a sane, accurate assessment. You see, true humility is not having a negative assessment of your gifts, but a reasonable or a sane one. This corrects another extreme when it comes to gifts. And this, this too, believe it or not, in fact, I know this won't surprise you, this was also present in Corinth. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 again, verse 14. For the body, now he's, he's talking about the human body and obviously with the implications on the body of Christ. Verse 14, he says, for the body is not one member but many. Your body consists of a lot of parts. If the foot says, and this is sort of the Eeyore approach to gifts, because I'm not the hand, I'm not a part of the body. It's not for this reason any the less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. But there is this tendency. Now notice verse 17. He says, if the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each of them, each one of them in the body, just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? This conjures up some pretty interesting pictures, you know. Imagine if your whole body was a liver, or your whole body was an ear, or your whole body was a nose. This is what was going on in Corinth. We are tempted in the same way. We are tempted to consider our giftedness when we look at the gifts of others as insignificant. That's not humility. It's not humility for you to say, well, I just don't have any gifts. Humility is not denying the presence or importance of spiritual gifts. It's not downplaying the real gifts that God has given you. The truth is, I'm going to risk offending you here, but the truth is that is often pride inside out. Because the person who says, I don't have any gifts, that person sometimes believes that, and that's a problem. But often, the person who says that wants others to say, oh no, you have wonderful gifts. It's just false humility begging for a compliment. Listen, it's okay to look at yourself, and this is what it means to be to be sane in your assessment of your gifts, to say, you know what, I can take absolutely no credit for it because it's all God's doing, but I have this gift that the Lord allows me to use to serve the body of Christ. Don't think too highly of yourself. Instead, think accurately about yourself and your giftedness. Now, that brings us to a fifth question, and that is how. How does this happen? How can we avoid thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to think, and how can we think about our giftedness sanely, reasonably, rationally? Well, here in the rest of these verses, verses 3 through 5, Paul provides two key strategies for thinking accurately about your spiritual gift. If you'll follow these strategies, then it'll, it'll help you have a sane view about your giftedness. Number one, 
Remember your unique ability to serve is a gracious, sovereign gift of God. Remember your unique ability to serve is a gracious, sovereign gift of God. Look at verse 3. Think so as to have sound judgment. Think rationally. Think sanely. How? As God has allotted to each a measure of faith. Now, this expression is a very difficult one. In fact, commentators have spilled a lot of ink over what this means. It has to do with how to understand this clause, a measure of faith. Now, this expression is difficult, but the key issue is the use of the word measure. That word measure in Greek as in English can be used in two different ways. It could be the instrument for measuring, like a ruler, or in this case, a standard. The word measure can also refer to the quantity that you measure, in this case, spiritual gifts. Now, those two uses have led to two primary interpretations of this expression, a measure of faith. Paul could mean, first of all, think of yourself and your gifts in light of the standard of our shared faith in Christ. If this is what Paul means, he would be saying something like this. Every believer has the same measure of saving faith which God has measured out to every Christian. That's the only standard by which you should be evaluating yourself at all, and when we use that standard, we discover that we're all the same and there's no cause for us to exalt ourselves over anyone else because we're all the equal objects of God's undeserved favor and His triumph through Jesus Christ on the cross. And that, by the way, is absolutely true. But I don't think that's what Paul means here. Because when you consider how Paul uses similar expressions to this measure of faith in other places, I think he more likely means this here. Think of your gifts in light of the individually measured out gifts God has given you. That's the measure of faith. Think in terms of your gifts as the gifts God has measured out to you, the, God, the gifts God has given you, the different capacities God has given you. The point that Paul is making, if this is what he intends, and I think it is, he's making this, God is the one who has measured out to each of us the gift we have. Notice the key words, as God has allotted to each one the gifts that he has. The fact that each of us is part of the body, each of us has been sovereignly placed in that body to fill a particular function, that should motivate us to humbly fill our roles. The members of the human body and of the body of Christ, according to 1 Corinthians 12, can vary in function, can vary in strength, that is the, the capacity to fulfill that function, and in honor, as we saw in 1 Corinthians 12. But God decided those differences through His Spirit as God has allotted to each the measure of faith. If you missed it before, listen again to 1 Corinthians 12, 18. This couldn't say it any clearer. God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as He desired. Couldn't be any stronger than that. And that, if you have that perspective, if you will memorize and let 1 Corinthians 12, 18 permeate your soul, it will keep you sane when it comes to your spiritual giftedness. Because you will remember that the unique abilities you have to serve 
have nothing to do with you, but they are a gracious gift of a sovereign God. And if they're a gift, then you have nothing to be proud about. 1 Corinthians 4, what do you have that you did not receive? And if you received it, why do you boast as if you didn't receive it? It'll keep you humble. It'll keep you with this right perspective. There's a second strategy here in this passage for keeping the right perspective about gifts, and it's this. Remember that you are only one member of Christ's body, and your role is to serve the other members. Remember that you are only one member of Christ's body, and your role is to serve the other members. This is the message of verses 4 and 5. In verse 4, Paul begins with the illustration, and that is how our physical bodies work. Verse 4, for just as we have many members in one body, Paul loves to use this image of the human body to illustrate both the unity and the diversity of the church. For example, 1 Corinthians 12, 27, you are Christ's body. There's the unity. We're all part of the body, singular, of Christ, and individually members of it. There's the diversity. He goes on in verse 4, still talking about our human bodies. He says, for just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function. The parts of your body have been assigned different functions by God. God placed many different members in your physical body because their different functions are all necessary for the overall health of your body. They all have to be there for your body to be healthy and strong and to work. Again, remember what I read in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, if the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them in the body, just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? That's true of your physical body. It's also true of the body of Christ. This picture, by the way, in verse 4 of the church as a body with many parts reminds us of several important spiritual lessons. First of all, it reminds us to appreciate the diversity of strengths and gifts in the church. I'm so grateful that not every member of this church is a mouth like I am. No, the body needs other parts to function, to work, to work together. Appreciate that diversity. God, that's not an accident. It's not an accident that that everyone's not like you. That's by design, just like the members of your physical body. There's another lesson here, and that is don't overvalue your own role. You know, I need to be reminded and remind myself, the body can get along without a mouth. Now, in the church, teaching is important. I'm not downplaying teaching. I'm just saying we have to keep perspective. And there's a third lesson here, and that is it reminds us that we have a duty to the rest of the body. If, if I had to identify one of the greatest dangers in today's church, it would be this. There is a grave danger of individualism. So many people who profess Jesus Christ have this mindset. James Montgomery Boyce called it, quote, hyper-personalized religion, the religion of Jesus and me only. So many Christians think like that. They think it's all about me and my relationship to Christ, and the rest of these people, well, whatever. Listen, the New Testament knows nothing of such selfish Christianity. Genuine believers belong to Christ 
and to Christ's body. If, if your thought about your Christian faith is it's Jesus and me only, and you come and you get what you want and you tolerate everybody else and you leave, you have a distorted view of Christianity. You have a distorted view of Christ. You have a distorted view of how he sees the Christian faith, as how he sees his body. You are one member of his body, and the other members matter to him and should matter to you. If you want to think accurately about your gifts, you have to remember the crucial importance of the other members and their function in the body, and that you are here to serve them, just like your thumb isn't there to serve itself. It isn't there to get what it can get. It's there to serve the rest of your body. It's exactly the same in the body of Christ. Verse 5, now he applies this concept to the many members in the physical body. So we who are many are one body in Christ. Now that's an interesting way he says that because in many other places, Paul says we are the body of Christ. But here he says, we who are many are one body in Christ. That's because he's stressing that there is an inherent unity among true believers. Notice this unity is achieved in Christ by our common union to the life of Jesus Christ. Charles Hodge, one of the great commentators in the book of Romans, writes this, believers are one body, a living organic whole not in virtue of any external organization, but in Christ, in virtue of their common union with Him. Do you understand what happened to you at the moment of your conversion? Not only were you forgiven, not only were you justified, not only were you adopted by God as an individual, but you were brought into God's family with the other people that had been adopted into God's family. Here's how Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. He says, but by one Spirit, we were all, all believers, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. This isn't talking about something that happens subsequent to salvation. He says every believer this happened to. This is talking about what happens at the moment of your conversion. You were immersed into Jesus Christ. You were made a part of his body along with everybody else who is a part of his body. And members of Christ's body are all in Christ. That means there is a necessary interdependence. Notice verse 5, and individually, this is a fascinating expression, members one of another. We depend on one another. We're different from each other, but we are all necessary to the body and to each other. Your physical body is an organic unity, and every member of your body belongs to all the other members. What if, what if tomorrow morning the alarm clock goes off and one of the members of your body decides, you know what, let's say it's your big toe. I'm just too busy to get involved in this guy's activities today. I'm just going to attend and get whatever I can for myself, and then I'm out of here. It's just as illogical when it comes to the members of Christ's body responding that way. No, we are interconnected, and your part matters. In fact, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. This chapter is about 
Christ's plan for the church and how the church is to function. And I want you to notice how this section ends. Ephesians 4, verse 15. He says, but speaking the truth in love, literally, the Greek text says, truthing in love. In other words, the church is to be about proclaiming the truth and mixing that truth with love. And when that happens, we, that is the church, not you individually, but us together are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ. So here He uses the image of Christ as the head. The rest of us are the members of His body. So what are the means that Christ uses to enable His body to grow? Look at verse 16. From Christ, the whole body, you're a Christian, this includes you. Now watch these expressions being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies. And you miss that, Paul says, let me say it a different way, according to the proper working of each individual part. Christian, that's you, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Christ decided that His body would grow spiritually into maturity as every single part of his body, if you're in Christ, that's you, supplies the role, fills the role that's been assigned to you, and you work properly in the execution of that role. The whole body grows. So let me ask you, do you think biblically, do you think accurately about your spiritual gift? Think about what we've seen just in this passage so far today. Do you see your giftedness and your service in the church as the very first expression of having a life that is a living sacrifice to God? Do you see your ministry as a grace of God to you? Do you understand that using your giftedness is a command of Jesus Christ your Lord? Are you tempted to think too highly of the gift you have? Are you tempted to think of it as insignificant and unimportant? Do you think sanely about the giftedness you have? Do you remember that your capacity to serve in the church is a sovereign, gracious gift of God and that you didn't deserve it, you didn't earn it, and it's just God's goodness to you? And do you remember that you are only one member of Christ's body that the other members matter, and that your role in life is to serve them. I was reminded this week of John 21, where Jesus interacts with Peter. And remember, he's restoring Peter, and he says to him three times, do you love me? And Peter says, Lord, you, you know, you know all things. I love that. I find myself so often there. Lord, you know I don't love you as I ought, but you know all things. You know that I love you. That's what Peter said. And you know what Jesus said to him in all three cases? He said, if you love me, do what? Feed my sheep or shepherd my sheep. In other words, Peter, if you love me, here's how it'll demonstrate itself in what you do with my people. That hasn't changed in 2,000 years. Do you love Jesus Christ? Well, here's test number one. Do you love and care for his people? Let's pray together. That's Tom Pennington on The Word Unleashed. And that concludes his current series titled Gifted to Serve. Join us next time for a brand new series as Tom once again takes us to God's Word. But Tom, before we end our time today, 
How about sharing a closing thought with us? You know, friend, I really hope you've gotten the big picture from our study, and that is that the Holy Spirit, at the very moment of your salvation, supernaturally gifted you for serving the church of Jesus Christ. He gave you a a unique blend of giftedness, either in serving or teaching or some combination of the two, for you to be able to minister to the body of Christ where he's placed you. I hope you'll think about the very practical way you can do that. You know, so often believers today think of themselves as the audience. They come to their church, they listen, and they leave. That's not a New Testament model. You and I are to be all in to the church that we belong to, and we're to use the giftedness the Spirit's given us for the benefit of the body of Christ where we live and serve. Thanks, Tom. And friend, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear from you. And if you haven't reached out before, or if you're a first-time listener, we'd like to send you Tom's book, Jesus' High View of Scripture, free of charge. Just subscribe to The Word Unleashed on our website, and we'll mail you a free copy of Tom's book. And don't forget to connect with us on social, at The Word Unleashed. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do so by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth.